David here from season one of High Shelf Adventures, our new podcast. And if you just listen to all the Cyberpunk episodes, I was the GM or referee, as Cyberpunk calls it. I wanted to do this recording to talk about the session, the game, and kind of go over some of my thoughts as a GM about how the game started, how it unfolded, you know, my takeaways, and hopefully give some players out there, some GMs, uh, referees, give you all some food for thought, some uh, just some some insights, right? You just watched what was the results, and I'd like to share what was going on kind of behind the scenes. I want to go back a little bit, though, and start off talking about cyberpunk itself and what it means to me as a game. I found cyberpunk in college over something like 20 years ago, and I fell in love with it right away. Our Talsorian games made that game feel real. And, And with that, with that real sense of danger and... You know, it had this grit to its world and to the system. Your choices had real consequences. Character death was always possible. Because of that realness, it felt like I was free to explore real problems like crime, poverty, desperation, depression, you know, vanity, drug use, what it means to be a human, what it means to be a person. Um, versus some sort of AI construct or someone who has pushed the limits in terms of how much they fused themselves with technology. And then, of course, you know, the, the impact of technology on a person, on a society. It's really great to explore all of those elements, those themes. And, you know, Cyberpunk lets me do that. And so I've, I've really appreciated the game for giving me that tool set. Getting to make this game, the one you just listened to, to stream it, to share it, was really a personal dream of mine for a long time, and it's finally fulfilled. Um, for for one, I got to play with my old friend Phil, who played Trace. Uh, Phil was a part of the group that introduced me to Cyberpunk. He's a phenomenal role player, and you know, introduced me to so many role playing concepts. Him and that crew that we used to play with. Hugo and Ethan, who played Snitch Rich and Dr. Vice, you know, respectfully, those are all new friends from HSG, from High Shelf Gaming. And I loved their characters, the reluctant doctor, the pragmatic nomad, um, both of them way in way over their heads, (laughs) super fun themes to explore. Because of this game, we have a really good relationship with the creators of Cyberpunk 2020 now, you know. Uh, our Talsorian games, and that's something that I really value. They, they've given me so much joy over the years with their products. It feels really good to know that we've given something back to them besides, you know, you know, a couple of bucks for some books, you know, that kind of thing. This was one of those games where I, as a referee, had no idea where it was going to end up. I knew I wanted them on a job that went bad. And GMs, as a little tip out there, it's my experience that the best way to make a job go bad is to make the game start the moment things started to go bad. (laughs) Because, you know, if you let it seem good and then you introduce the bad, a lot of times players will protect themselves and prevent 
your big bad moment from happening or it'll feel like they messed up in some way you know that sort of thing and instead you get to say no 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 this game moment this game begins the moment this person died or the moment this bad thing happened and we you know kind of hit the ground already running boom goes the solo accomplished that Exactly. You know, right on the nose, you know, they were immediately put on the back foot. They had to kind of desperately try to complete their mission, stay in one piece. That was really important to me to just immediately infuse that game with a lot of energy and uh, kind of really set the tone for what they were going to be dealing with throughout the throughout the game. I find that, you know, a really good story is a story where the characters suffer. Uh, not die. I don't want really, I don't necessarily need PCs, player characters to die, but I do want to hit them. I want to hit them with problems, things that really matter to their characters. And so even after their solo died, they go to do the handoff. It was important to me that Soup Kitchen, their fixer, also gets shot, also gets taken out, making a bad job even worse, starts to feel like the world is against the characters. But they have a refuge. They have a place they can go to feel safe together in their bar, the Violent Femmes. And that's also important. You need to hit the players, but then give them a place they can go where, sure, NPCs could show up and be baddies, but, you know, it's nice to give them some kind of refuge. And that's what the bar did, the Violent Femmes. After killing their solo and wounding their fixer, frankly, I had very little plan in that game. I knew what the pieces meant. You know, I knew that the, you know, they would get some setbacks. I knew that I needed to make it personal to their characters uh, to let them sort out what they were going to do with their newfound problem. This box from Arasaka that probably has a tracking device on it. What developed organically was really a, a beautiful story about a rocker boy trying to make sense of his friend's death a doctor with a dangerous enemy and an ex-corp with a weird pretend girlfriend who he has always thought was real. She feels real to him. And, and that's what I needed to do. I, I, I set that stage and then the characters really ran with it. So hats off to Hugo. We knew that he had a girlfriend, Sarah, but he had no idea that she was an AI projection into his brain and wasn't real until that scene. He rolled with it with a plum and allowed his character to be committed to that relationship and, and to its possible weaknesses for manipulation or, you know, character danger. I think a lot of players don't do that. I think a lot of players want, you know, perfect characters that have no weaknesses and no attachments and, Hugo with Snitch Rich really allowed that attachment and really committed to it. And it was cool to see him and Sarah have those discussions on a, on a mutual level and how he absorbed, you know, heavy information and dealt with it. And really Snitch Rich put Sarah on the same level or even higher than the fellow players he put all of them at risk just to see how he could help her. That really makes for a great story. That makes for a great arc. Uh, so players out there, if you're listening, you know, don't be afraid of in-game attachments. Don't be afraid of committing to something that 
you know, on the surface may seem like a bad idea because it might end up making a really great story. And and that's how it went with Snitridge and Hugo. Just just incredible. You know, Ethan's troubles with the bozo, Mr. Pepper Pants. Um, I, I really wanted to get into episode one. We didn't have the time for it. So that was a big part of episode two. The bozos and Arasaka are really unlikely allies. But in the street, in cyberpunk, really anything can happen. You know, get a couple of fixers for either group who drop some hints to each other. And all of a sudden, thugs and corporates are, you know, sharing a Sunday trying to ruin somebody's life. <laughs> you know, like that's how that's how that kind of stuff happens. And I knew that Mr. Pepper Pants had this big grudge. I knew that Arasaka was suddenly taking a lot of interest in this crew and they'd be putting feelers out. So in my mind, it made sense that you know, two groups that were putting feelers out would find one another and, you know, uh, collaborate limitedly to try and hurt someone, trying to put them into a position of, of discomfort where they don't feel safe. Right. So, so why did I do that? Why did I put them together? Why did I go and hit Dr. Vice's lab? Well, frankly, I needed Dr. Vice's backstory to really have an impact in this game. I had a good thing for Trace. I had a good thing for Snitch Rich, but I needed Dr. Vice's backstory to matter. And Ethan is not a reluctant player, but he was playing a reluctant character. And this is really important. He wanted his character in the scene. He wanted his character in the game, but his character didn't want to be there, did not want to be in danger. And so it is sometimes can be difficult for a player to justify why their character's in the street, why their character is being uh, a cause for change in the world when they likely, based on their personality, would rather be away, would rather be in some sort of sanctuary. And so what I needed to do was make it so that Dr. Vice's sanctuary, his lab where he goes and does surgery and makes drugs, I needed that to be made unsafe, right? I really needed that to not be safe for him anymore. And what that does is it is it makes the crew the new safe place for Dr. Vice. And, you know, Ethan latched onto that and ran with it, and that gave him enough justification to keep Dr. Vice engaged in the world and not hermiting back to his lab. So that was just something I put in there to help give some character motivation and bring his backstory into the game and make it make sense. And I thought it was really fun seeing the whole welcome to summer camp thing with the giant s'more, that kind of stuff is just hilarious. And part of why I love the bozos, cause you get to kind of flex a little bit of a, a Batman's Joker situation where it's kind of funny, but also terrifying and super dangerous. Like perfect. <laughs> it's exactly what I wanted. And so that really cemented their relationship. It works great in a short campaign to do something like that. I think a long campaign, it's tougher because eventually they get the sanctuary back and, you know, you can't keep hitting it. You have to, you know, find some other way or, or maybe the player does a character change or something like that. But for what we did, you know, a four episode game or a four session game. Perfect. That was really neat. And also to have a character that was a drug addict. That hasn't happened for me in a long time. And it's really fun to flex that muscle again and to talk about brain states for a character when they're on and off. 
And that whole issue, I think, is a fun theme to explore with the right crew. And it was nice to get to do that here where the drug wasn't, you know, a methamphetamine or an opiate or something that's problematic in our world. Instead, it was something that he made that was problematic in his world, in his life. Felt like a boon, but was really something that he was anchored to and, you know, allowed him to never grow in that way. And so it's really cool to have a drug that isn't really at all like real world drugs, but we can, you know, flex that muscle in cyberpunk and say, well, this drug is still a problem for this character. Um, To talk real quick about Trace and Phil. Phil is, I love playing with Phil. It's so hard to get his time and I'm so glad we got it. Honestly, I think he made it a three act story. You know, Trace connected with Henry VII's death like none of the other characters did. And he held on to that. Characters who hold on to traumatic moments in a game to justify future actions, not just, you know, not just to solve puzzles and and problems, but to proactively change the world. He did that, you know, Trace did that. He changed the world in saying, I hurt, you know, by making that song, by making that that concert. It's just incredible. It's rare to have a player that wants to do that, I feel. And I'm so glad that Phil went there making the song, wanting to release it in game, wanting to do the concert. That's that's really brave storytelling for a player and a character to say, no, 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 I want to make a thing and I want to put it into your world, GM, and I want it to matter in your world, GM. I think some GMs would look at that pivot and say, well, that's not my story. That's not what I'm like trying to do. Why is he distracting from my story? Look, GM, I get that you are making a game. I get that you're making a story. But, you know, if, if that's kind of where your head would go, take a minute and realize that this is our game, our story. You're telling it with them. You're adding things into the world. They're adding things into the world. And when you let them add big things into the world, sometimes it's phenomenal. (laughs) You know, the world hits them. They get to hit back. They get to make things. They get to add content and context to your world. And so, you know, through this song, through that stuff, I was able to bring in his family as villains, trying to immediately take over ownership of the song. But more importantly, that gave him the tool necessary to make a concert for our final epic scene you know like it was just so big and awesome to have this firefight and there's like mosh pit like (laughs) roughing up a bunch of dudes like it just felt so alive and we would have never had that if i said hey dude my game does not include you making a concert that's fucking weird right so roll with it you know like let that let them breathe that into your game and and encourage that kind of stuff. And players, if you're like, man, I really want my character to like be this thing that makes this stuff. Yes. Do that. Like that is, that's just so good. You know, that's what I mean when I said in the beginning, I had no idea where the game was going to go. Actually, I don't know that I said that, but yeah, when I started the game, I had those first two items and then I didn't have much of a plan. I didn't really know where it was going to go. I knew that 
the initial job was a complicated AI plan to get close to Snitch Rich. I knew that Dr. Vice had a murderous enemy, but I didn't know we were going to put on a concert. I didn't know that they were going to make a song about it. I had no idea that killing the solo was going to mean so much to the game. And it did. And it was awesome. And it really framed every step that those characters took afterwards. The girlfriend angle and the murderous uh, bozo angle. And most importantly, the death of their solo, you know, Henry VII. And looking back, it really makes sense. Those three players were in their characters. This was really the only story those characters were going to be able to tell. They weren't going to tell some story I planned out. They were going to tell our story. And it was good. I want to take a quick moment and just say, Artel Sorian Games gave us so much love during this chapter one, This during this stream. I was really shy in the beginning. I didn't even post about our first episode. I wasn't super confident in our stream and just in my ability to stream and, and carry a stream and all that kind of stuff. It, it, I was very new to it and I just kind of wanted to fly under the radar. They reached out and said, why didn't you tell us you were streaming? We want to like do something for you guys. We want to promote you. And they did, you know, in a big way. They made two separate promotional videos, listed us many times on their platforms, their social media, on their site, on their actual play site, all of that stuff, you know, pointing people to our show, pointing people to our episodes. It was a lot. And, you know, what's crazy is like, at the time, I think we had on Twitch, I think we had like 30 followers on YouTube. We probably had like 15 subscribers. I mean, it was, we were tiny and they were giving us way more love than we deserved. But because of that, I've, I'm eternally grateful to them. They, they really went above and beyond for us. And, and to that, I, you know, Artel Sorian, if you're listening, I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. It was just so, it meant so much to me and to us to have that outpouring of support. And to see you guys put so much effort into us, uh, really just put wind in our sails. So, you know, Mike, Lisa, Cody, Jay, and the rest you're all pretty incredible. Um, so thank you for treating us so well. Oh my gosh. Oh, and just like to top it all off, cherry on top, you know, we wrapped up the game and everything and Jay reaches out and they want to, they wanted to add our characters, you know, Trace and Snitrich and Vice and Soup Kitchen, the fixer I was playing, the NPC. They wanted to add all those characters to the Cyberpunk Red Jumpstart Kit as a free download off their website, you know, part of their kit bashing series. Just incredible. It meant so much to us. It still kills me. It still gets to, it still like gets me, you know, like it still kind of blows me away that we made a game that ended up with characters that are canon in Cyberpunk Red, like fucking awesome, just amazing. And again, we were still, we were a tiny show. Heck, we're still a tiny show compared to some of the people playing Witcher, some of the people playing Cyberpunk Red now, like, we are still small potatoes and they gave us so, so much and just freaking awesome. You know, and I reflect a little bit. This might be my, no, I mean, this is probably my last Cyberpunk 2020 game I'm ever going to run. You know, um, Cyberpunk Red is just around the corner. 
it'll tough to be go back to 2020, you know, like I'm just going to be running cyberpunk red, but hot damn, man. Like what a swan song, you know, like of all the years I've been playing this game to get to end on this note is just incredible. And I can't wait for cyberpunk red. I can't wait to tell stories in that system. And I hope that you really enjoyed the 2020 game is just, just really incredible stuff. That's all I got folks. Thanks a ton again. Uh, Have fun and play well.